Covered in Glory is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. Download it, must be 21 years or older. Welcome back to another edition of Covered in Glory. This is our second take because the first time we did it, I asked Brett how he's doing and he had no idea. So now I'm worried about his sanity and how the next hour of your time is going to be spent. So let's try this again, Brett. How are you doing, pal? Aren't you always worried about my sanity, though? I feel like that's a common theme is our, our, well, maybe not just ours. Like somebody is always going through a worry about the other person's sanity. I just feel like that's our dynamic on the show. Which is, why, which is why we hosted from the well of sadness. <laughs> <laughs> Completely fair. Um, I hope you guys don't hear it behind me. There's people replacing floors. There's people working you know, on a patio because your boy is finally moving and he's returning to his homeland back in Virginia. So super excited about that. But uh, got to get ready to leave Austin first. I'm following Eric Bannemi back to the commanders, aren't you? Huh? Oh, my god, That's true. That's real loyalty right there, I have to say. That's how badly I want to be back in Virginia. I'm willing to move back despite the commander still being a team. <laughs> Such a loyal fan. You're, your commanders in Chelsea are doing so well these days. Hey, well, we're going to get to Chelsea. But first, I want to start off of the pitch, Brett. Uh, you texted me beforehand because one of your least favorite slash most favorite players secretly, Richarlison, had some things to say about Antonio Conte uh, in an open mic that other people could hear. I'm not sure he was aware about that. <laughs> Uh, so first, I want to give you the opportunity here. You have an open mic. Nobody's really listening. What would you like to say to the higher ups at uh, the Extra Points Podcast Network? Are you disgruntled? Do you think you should be getting more PT? You want more showtime now? The I, just, I, I just want more meatballs. Forefront? I want more meatballs to come out from behind the virtual glass and give us some red hot West Ham takes weekly. That's my thing. I'm fighting for him. You know, you stand up. For the for the people that you have, that don't have the power, I'm standing up for meatballs. Well, Michael, actually, meatballs uh, does have the power. You can make me sound like an idiot with every edit. I don't know what I'm talking about. You should be standing up for me. No, it's true. Michael nailed the John Jones fight last week. It wasn't West Ham, but he absolutely nailed that. And he's great on hockey. So any sports that involves fighting, uh, I would definitely involve Michael in your selections. Uh, so I know you had a topic that you kind of wanted to cover well, from. Well, here's here's my question to you. So, so you are obviously more of a Conte aficionado than me because he was your manager. So you saw the insanity week in, week out. I'm sure you follow a little bit of what was going on at Inter when he moved to Inter. Like, I'm he's never really left your life. He's he's a figure in your life that you know fairly well because of your connection to Chelsea. Would you ever two reporters? question that man with no fear for your life is this going to turn into a jimmy hoffa situation wow that's a really old outdated reference but is this going <laughs> to turn into a jimmy hoffa situation for a charleston because he not only questioned why he wasn't playing he questioned his tactics in the champions league loss to milan i, I mean what do you cross this guy toby you know do, would you cross this guy Hey, before I answer that question, Michael, can you come on? Can you come on the mic for one second? 
Uh, do you know who Jimmy Hoffa is? <laughs> I do. I do. Hey, hey all right. The, the New Yorker meatballs outrules the fact that you made it like an early 20th century reference <laughs> to a guy born uh, late in the 20th century. So, okay. All right. Just wanted to check meatballs. Thanks for confirming that he's not totally out of touch here. Um, to answer your question, uh, absolutely not. Uh you know, I, I was trying to think about this kind of on the Paulo DeCanio scale, right? So, like, Paulo DeCanio, uh, manager f- who routinely challenged his players to fight him and was a self-described fascist. So, yeah. if you're going to take that as, like, a 10 as a manager you don't want to cross, he's not quite that far. But if you look at the other Premier League managers, he's way past the median on that. So, if you look at the other Premier League managers, I think the one I'd least like to cross, um, if you think that the – so, it, this is key, right? Are you thinking you're going to cross them because that person's going to harm you? Or do you think you're going to cross them because that person knows oh, somebody who wants the, the to net, harm well, I'm talking, yeah, totally the network. Because you know that Paul DeCanio is probably like hanging out with the Lazio Ultras right now. So like, yeah, definitely that dude. I like there. It's not just him. It's like the network that you know is going to be coming after you. And that's the uh, thing with Conte. It's like, I don't, this is what I want to know from your perspective. Are you worried about Conte himself or is Conte sicking people on you? you you, So you think DeCanio, the guy who had to hide his tattoo because it made made reference to Mussolini, might have some unsavory characters in his life? Well, if so Maybe. before before Maybe. I move to the company, we shouldn't that judge keep, too harshly about people with Mussolini tattoos. Yeah, uh, before I move to the company, the keep the only manager I think I would actually fear for that guy hurting me is Sean Dice because he just oh, looks exactly like the type of guy who involuntarily makes a wanking motion every time he gets served an ad for anger management, and that is not somebody <laughs> that I want to cross if if I can help it. He's been uh, in some pub fights for sure. Definitely been in some pub fights. In terms of like. The company they keep, uh, first of all, you kind of have to look north, right? Because the farther north a manager is from, typically the harder they are. (laughs) So the first guy that I thought was about was Brendan Rogers from Northern Ireland. But then I looked at him and he comes from like this artistic family background. He went to Catholic school. Plus, he's the oldest of five. And it's never the oldest of five who is proper hard because they didn't grow up with older people beating their ass. Right. So right. I, I as think a younger it, brother, I can attest to this. Yes, exactly. So I think it comes down to the manager in the Premier League I would least like to cross is both from Italy and is Conte or Deserbia. And so, like, Deserbia looks a lot like a guy if you're seen in a movie where they, they go to the bad guys hanging out with his entourage who are all carrying guns and they're in a club and there's techno music playing and there's drinks <laughs> that, with weird colors being served and there's a bunch of women in like tight dresses and it's this super Euro scene. And then he's sitting in the middle with his arms around a booth and just relaxing. And then he gets a phone call and he has to walk outside. And when he walks outside, it's like 11 a.m. That's what Deserbia looks like. And that is not a guy who will not kill you without a second thought or have something describe the plot of the villain of john wick four basically uh well <laughs> i'll tell you as soon as i see it on opening night uh but conte is even scarier because conte is the guy where you're riding and you're like he pulls up next to you and he asks you if you want to ride and you get into the back of the car and all of a sudden you hear this like thumping in a trunk yeah. and it's like this really loud noise that is repetitive and won't stop and you're like, hey, man, what is that? And he just looks at you and says, don't worry about it. That's where you have to be the most worried you're ever going to be in your entire life. And that's what Don Conte reminds me of. He absolutely will bury people without any any hesitation, without thinking about it. And so if I'm McCarlison, uh, I'm, one, putting in a transfer request as fast as I can for multiple <laughs> reasons. But two, Witness I protection might be better. 
I am definitely, uh, it doesn't matter since they're out of the Champions League, but I was going to say, I'm definitely hoping that he got out of AC Milan alive without some of the Don's uh, friends coming in to visit him. Yeah, well, I, I think it's a good list. I mean, any time that we can open a podcast talking about Paulo DiCanio, obviously A-plus work. So I'm going to give ourselves a pat on the back. We can now officially move into the games because we talked about the highlight right already. So here we yeah, go. Yeah, I, 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 we have to move on to the games because if I say any more about content, we're just going to knock on my door. So let's get to the on-field action this week. And we're going to start with Bournemouth. 20th at 21 points versus Liverpool, fifth at 42 points. This game is 7 a. I'm sorry, 7:30 a.m. on Saturday. Liverpool is minus 225. Bournemouth is plus 575. The draw is plus 350. Our friends at Caesars have Liverpool minus a goal and a half at plus 120, and Bournemouth minus 150. Uh, all right, so Brett, this is a fantastic place to start. Um, not because of this game, but because we get to talk about Liverpool, you must be feeling really great after backing Liverpool pretty heavily on this pod last week. And then they come out and absolutely humiliate and destroy Manchester United seven to zero. So my question before we talk about Bournemouth Liverpool is from your point of view, did that game last week say more about Liverpool, more about United, or not much about either team? It should just be written off as a 45-minute nightmare for the visitors who doesn't reflect either team's actual form. Uh, I think it says I think it says a lot about both, actually, right? So coming into the game, a lot of their underlying numbers were exactly the same, but they got there in two different ways. Liverpool has been dealing with a ton of injuries this year. Firmino's been out. Jota's been out. Mane had left. Van Dijk's been out. Uh, their midfield, uh, Tiago's been out, <clears throat> and United was basically getting there with a good run of health. They won a bunch of really close, like one goal matches, which typically yeah, are, is not a sustainable way to continue to win soccer matches. So I think it was like a perfect storm, right? You have this Liverpool team that's now getting these players back, regaining some of their consistency. Harvey Elliott was like a monster in that match, uh, which is a really nice thing for them. I mean, obviously the offensive potential was there, but it was, he had like five tackles and interceptions combined and him doing defensive work in front of front of Fabinho, which I think was, I think a question mark in the early part of the season when that midfield looks like very, 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 very weak. Um, but now that, you know, the percentage is there, like there's, there's options, there's bodies in the midfield. Joe did so much for them when he comes back. Cody Gakpo has been better than we thought. Like, this is an ascending Liverpool team again. They have definitely kind of weathered the storm. I think their Valley. Um, and then they came against the United team that I think we saw. <clears throat> the point that I made last week was they're taking advantage of kind of the situation, right? Like this is a weird year. There's a ton of teams that played a ton of games and compressed seasons and compressed schedules. And they've been just like an okay, solid team. That's gotten some pretty fortunate results. And now granted, we saw the extreme end of seven to nil, but like Liverpool hammered him. And I think that's because Liverpool at their peak is still much better than where United is right now. Well, Liverpool moved from plus 175 last week to finish top four to all the way to minus 125. Feel so good that about ticket those odds. Moved. you made me, you bully me into taking them, but then I, I took them. I did never actually see a bully get paid off by the guy getting bullied. So that worked <laughs> yeah. out well for you. I made um, lunch money on that one. <laughs> you made lunch money. That's a good point. Uh, so to me, that game, uh, no one is that good or that bad. 
So I don't think it like reflects either team's true form. The only right. exception to that might be Luke Shaw, who like temporarily entered what Bill Simmons famously called the Tyson zone on Sunday. Like you could tell me anything in the world was wrong with him, and I would have believed it. Like his vodka, I'm sorry, his Gatorade was replaced with vodka. I'd believe you. Uh magic is real, and Harry Potter's a biography, and somebody confunded him. I'd believe it. Like somebody from Liverpool was holding his dog hostage and making the dog watch this game, which is the ultimate form of torture. I believe it. Like there's no nothing that anything you could tell me about him that would explain his performance. My my personal favorite was when uh, he was ran all the way past the, the back goalpost on a set piece, comes back into the play, is standing next to the far post. Liverpool scores one of their goals and Shaw himself throws up a hand for offsides. So you're playing everybody on sides. You're literally playing on the goal line. And now you're trying to draw a flag. Like what the hell's he doing? Is, is he been that bad recently and I've just missed it? Or is no. this just one mystical game that we just uh, can't well, Definitely one mystical game. He has definitely been a bright spot for that team in general. I think he's actually been one of their more underrated players. I mean, United gets hammered pretty hard for all the failed signings that they've had over the last decade, I guess. Um, and he's been one of the ones that probably isn't like super sexy, but he, I know what you're saying. It was a, it was a bizarre match in a lot of ways. I mean, we also got an iconic spin cycle moment with Lissandra Martinez and Mo Salah, uh, which he basically it was, it was the basketball version or the soccer version of getting posterized. Oh, yeah. um, so like it, it was, I think it was a bizarre match. I mean, Bruno Fernandez obviously lost his mind, um, you know, during it and was not very captain like, uh, that was definitely not a very like captain needs to weather the storm project call moment from him. So I, I think when you kind of take all those things added up, it was just humiliating, right? Like this is a huge rivalry. They're at Anfield. They're getting their, their butts kicked. Luke Shaw is having a, a horrible game. Guys are getting posterized. Their captains melting down. Like, it, like you said, it's never going to be as bad as it looks, but like everybody on United could have probably, you could have pointed out at some point during those 90 minutes, look like there was something wrong with them. Yeah. Well, I, you already mentioned the one name of like really strong positive takeaways I would take for Liverpool. And that was Harvey Elliott. Like I haven't, I'm not the biggest Harvey Elliott uh, stand there is in the world. Like he's not really my cup of tea. I usually think he's a bit of a hole when he's in uh, the midfield side, but he played inspired in that match. And if he can keep anything even close to this run of form, like the fall off in Thiago and Fabinho has a lot better chance to be weathered, particularly as right. their fester suggestion their fixture congestion kind of gets limited a little bit. Um, the other one that, I mean, he's just arisen uh, a lot in the last couple of weeks is Cody Gakpo. I mean, right, yeah. they were, I think playing him through the middle a little bit more has really done a lot for Darwin Nunez because he's getting more freedom to crash in from the left and kind of invert down towards the center rather than having to constantly make his runs down the center and Gakpo's op- occupying that space and they're switching a lot, which is freeing him up. Um, I mean, I made fun of him when he was first signed because he, he took a little while to embed, but I think one thing we're seeing, Brett, and um, as a Chelsea fan, I hope I'm right about this, is like if you sign quality guys, they might not look world-class right away, but class has a great chance of returning if they just get, you know, a run of games and get adjusted to the speed. We just, we're seeing it with Gakpo right now. Uh, we're, Nunez looks far more comfortable. And then Casemiro also had a similar kind of start to it, right? Like he was not very good when he came in and then he became the most important person in a side that just lost seven zero. But before that, he was definitely steadying the ship with the guys that are third in the table. Uh, so 
I think that it's fun to like think people are going to be bust right away. Um, but if you stick with them, like sometimes you get rewarded like Gakpo and Casemiro. Yeah. And G- Gakpo is really interesting. I, I was having a, uh, an interesting conversation. I have, I have a weird amount of Liverpool fan friends, but I was talking with a few of them. And one of the things that's interesting about Gakpo is that when he was playing the air division, he was the guy, right? So like he was expected to create with the ball at his feet. The when the play got into the final third, like he was the dude, right? And it's in you and I are basketball people, so we know this. It's kind of like when the the guy that's like pretty good, but he's sort of like a little overmatched when you make him the number one guy. And in Liverpool, you mentioned a lot of the stuff that's benefiting him. One, he can play through the middle, and he's got Darwin Nunez, who's an incredible shot creator on one side, and then Mo Salah, who does everything excellently with Trent Alexander supporting Moa on the right side. And then he gets to basically play off the ball and he can move and he's got freedom and he's got flexibility and he's kind of the third banana out there, right? Like it's, it's Mo and it's Darwin and then it's Gakpo. And I think what we're seeing is that he had some skills with his off ball movement. You know, he kind of got like, I think he even got ripped by his own teammates about his holdup play in the world cup he doesn't have to be that traditional striker in Liverpool system yeah. either. So like there's a lot of stuff and, and this is like a bigger conversation about how little we know about soccer, right? Like even with all our XG data and, you know, the tracking things that go on, the number of smart people that are writing books or, you know, studying the game. Um, you know, these are things that like we just need to see and then we continue to learn and understand about the game. And I, I think what we found out is that you and I made fun of the fact that some team was going to buy him after his World Cup performance where he scored, you know, a bunch of goals on, you know, basically the same number of goals of shots that he had. We made fun of it a little bit, but then we saw that he moved to a situation. He had some skills that maybe we didn't give him enough credit for or couldn't see that well. And then all of a sudden we have a super productive player for Liverpool. Um, yep. So. You know, again, we don't know anything. They're smarter than us. That's usually a common theme with a lot of our conversations. Somebody's Definitely smarter true. than us. <laughs> uh, well, meanwhile, Bournemouth, they take Arsenal to the death last week and are the victims of what turned out to be one of the most electric moments of the year. Yeah, like, I mean, certainly it could be the most iconic championship winning goal, basically, in the, when you go back and look at it. I mean, it's certainly the the best moment in the Premier League so far. It's not the best moment mm-hmm. in soccer because of the stuff that happened in the World Cup, but yeah. it, it was truly electric. The finish from Nelson in minute ninety seven was incredible. The sound at the Emirates was the stuff of legend. Like the the proverbial roof just came off of that place. Uh, if Arsenal win the title, there'll be 500,000 people in London who claim they were there for that game. I have no doubt about that. <laughs> uh, it's I know it's big when because I I had to take. Um, Kate, my 10 year old to her travel soccer game, the second the Chelsea game ended. And while I was driving, my phone blew up with people who don't usually text me about soccer talking about that Arsenal goal, including uh, our pal Sal, who cashed a ticket on it. Um, But one of my I think one of my bigger takeaways, Brett, isn't the comparison between Liverpool and United. It's the comparison between United and Arsenal, like both fell behind 2-0 in those matches and their responses absolutely couldn't have been farther apart. But it's the steel to mount a comeback, which is like the real mark of a champion and not just a flat track bully. And United completely capitulated and Arsenal completely rose to it. I know they had different quality of a, a opponent, but seeing it, you know, kind of back to back over the weekend, I think that's the better distinction to draw that United's not ready for this level of title chase and Arsenal absolutely are. Yeah. And I mean, I think this is why 
I might have taken a little bit. It's nothing necessarily against United, although, I mean, we have our fun United on the show plenty. Um, but I think United was was definitely people were riding high on some United fever Yeah, before that. And there was talk that they were sneaking into the title race. And I think this weekend showed you like they're not there. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I, I think they're going to have to still fight a little bit. They have a nice cushion with their point total, at least for the top four. But that's going to be a fight all of a sudden, I think, going forward. I'm sure we'll have a futures pod coming up at some point soon here. Um, but I wouldn't be like totally shocked if Liverpool ascends to the point where they're pretty much locked in and United are the ones that are fighting for the four spot. So United moved from, Brighton. United move from minus a uh, thousand to minus 700 just from that yeah. game. So just from Liverpool that went way up. Yeah. United went way down just off that match. Uh, all right. So let, let's get back to this game. So Bournemouth, they got up two zero last week, but they did only manage four shots. So I'm not exactly ready to back off my claim. They're the worst team in the league based on just last week's result. Um, I think Liverpool aren't seven zero good, but a good team does tend to use results like this as a launch point to find a nice vein of form. So I definitely think they're two nil good or three, one good in this particular matchup. So as such, I'm thrilled to get a plus number on the adjusted line. So I'm going to take pool minus that goal and a half at plus plus one twenty. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, I, I, I mean, the, the Philip billing goal is just uh, not what you'd call sustainable or repeatable. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, Bournemouth got pretty lucky. They're, they're just not good. I don't really like the switch to a back three, but then I kind of looked at it and I'm like, well, all their what players are, oh, well, yeah, all their <laughs> players are bad. So like what formation does make sense for them? Um, uh, but back yeah, 10. Yeah, go back 10. Yeah, just, just put like 10 guys, stack them across the goal. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I, I actually went. Um, this is a bizarre bet given how up and down Liverpool have been, but I just gravitated towards the Liverpool clean sheet win. I mean, if Bournemouth's going to add an extra defender on the pitch, they already don't have very good attackers. Um, I just think it's going to be really dicey for them to create chances. I think they obviously got lucky once with one of the goals, uh, and just in general, they haven't been creating anything, they don't yeah. create chances. So at plus 145 for the Liverpool clean sheet win. If we get another repeat performance of Harvey Elliott turning into N'Golo Conte, um, yeah, I mean, I, I just I like the plus twenty for that bet. I just think it's a really good line. Yeah, I I, I like that one as well. Uh, I'm going to use a different uh, team with a clean sheet win, so I didn't want to be repetitive, but I definitely uh, have to write I'm, that one down. I'm like a clean sheet win robot to spoil <laughs> all the other picks. So. Um, for my prop, I like Liverpool win and over two and a half goals at plus 100. If okay. you fear the consolation goal, like if, you, if there's a reason that they slip up and breast uh, bet doesn't hit, you could still get a plus number and be covered by a 2 1 win here. And also, pool can end up covering it themselves. Yeah, so it's just absolutely. another way to kind of I think that's the, that's the that would have been the lead. Is I think, I think with the attacking firepower back with the, the rotation now five healthy, really good attackers and Luis Diaz on his way back. Like Liverpool is going to start scoring more goals again. All right. uh, Let's go ahead and take a quick break for our sponsors. Then we'll be back with more of the matchups. The thing about Caesar Sportsbook, it's not just an app. It's your key to a whole empire. Hotels, casinos, restaurants, shows, Caesar's Palace. I'm sure you've heard of it. Every bet you place with Caesar Sportsbook brings you closer to perks only Caesars can offer. Hotel stays at iconic destinations, app bonuses, merch, show tickets, and many more Caesars rewards perks. So get started today. Register using code OmahaFull and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, 
win, congrats. If you don't, you'll get your stake back as a bet credit. If you have a gambling problem in Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed to Horseshoe, Bossier, City, and Harris, New Orleans. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, which is 1-800-426-2537. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-H-O-P-E-N-Y or text H-O-P-E-N-Y 467-369. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We are back and we are going to head to Leicester City, 15th at 24 points versus Chelsea, 10th at 34 points. This game is Saturday at 10 a.m. Chelsea is minus 102. Leicester is plus 270. The draw is plus 250. Chelsea minus half a goal is minus 105. And Caesars has Leicester's double chance at minus 125. Uh, so, Brett, obviously Chelsea's been a, a big topic of conversation on this sh- uh, show every week, basically, since we started recording. So I don't want to continue why, why, to... Why, why do we talk about them so much? I don't want to continue to dive into it too much this week. Uh, and plus, I think people like to hear me talk more about it when I'm in pain rather than when I'm happy. Uh, so getting a 1-0 win over Leeds and then uh, advancing in the Champions League... Uh, to the quarterfinals, obviously made this a much better week than the previous, I don't know, 10 to 12 weeks combined. Um, I think what's kind of interesting, and the only thing worth having a a real conversation about, is Chelsea reverting back to the 3-4-3. And this seems to be something that they do. Uh, They pulled this trick a couple of times, that as soon as they go back to the 3-4-3, it just unlocks the team and they start running off clean sheet victories. Uh, Spoiler alert, this is going to be the team I use my clean sheet victory on. Uh, so my question for you is, why do I pine and why do you sometimes pine so much for them to move to a four at the back, where if they have Chilwell and James, and if those two can be completely free to move forward, are those two having the extra ability to attack actually more valuable than that third midfielder? Uh, or I'm sorry, the fourth attacker, whatever it might be. And that's why every time they move to the three, four, three, suddenly they get going again. Or is it a matter of four at the back? Absolutely will work for them. James and Chill will kill still can bomb forward. They just don't have the defensive midfielder to hold that uh, formation together. And so they keep trying to do something that, that will make eventual sense, but they're one piece short. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it just comes down. I mean, and obviously the big thing with Chelsea has just been the extreme turnover in personnel, right? Like with injuries and players leaving and players coming in. Um, and so I think the the where they're at now with, you know, Conte not back and, and fit fully yet and definitely probably not ready for 90 minutes every other every week. Um, the the midfield options just weren't great, right? So like when you're playing a 4-2-3-1 um, with just two central midfielders, you're jamming an attacker out there and their attackers also haven't been great. Right. Like, like do you really want to push, you know, someone out there that hasn't been performing well, like a Mason Mount at the expense of maybe the solidity of the foundation of the team. Um, and so part of the reason why I think the back three looked good yesterday is it just fit the available players, right? Like Enzo and Kova are pretty good <laughs> Double pivot. That's a really yeah. good central midfield, right? With the terms of the combination of skill sets and passing with Enzo doing enough defensive work and COVID being able to move and do things a little bit further up the field. Um, and then any of their limitations in terms of covering ground or defensively get patched up by the back three. And then the back three works because Reese James can create like an attacker. Chilwell can get into the box and do some things. And then you just can play your, your best three attackers. And right now, that's pretty much who was out there, in my opinion, for Chelsea. And you watch this more week to week, maybe you have a different opinion. But Havertz, Felix, and Sterling are still their best three attackers. The, most of the numbers, underlying numbers, would say the same thing. And so basically, they just put their best players in the pitch in a way that made sense. And like for all the complicated things and all the tactic, twittery stuff, that is uh, as simple sometimes as it gets. Yeah. Put your best players out there in a way that makes sense and let them do their thing. And I think that's what we saw against Dortmund. Yeah, and look, having a back three rotation and having um, having Koulibaly, having Fofana, having Batashiel, and once Silva comes back as like a rotation for a back three, I don't think they're going to leak a lot of goals. And like, we talked about this off air, I think, and you were shocked to hear. I think that the spotlight shines on Kepa and and highlights his flaws. He still has distance blindness. He still doesn't command the box uh, very well on either high crosses or low crosses. He's not aggressive enough in corralling them. But in terms of shot stopping, like guys, one of the best goalies of the of all five leagues in Europe on shot stopping. Uh, shot. I'm sorry. Shot stopping stats. Wow, that's a tongue twister. Alliteration pod right here. Everybody. Yeah, real, real Dr. Seuss uh, uh, <laughs> tongue twister there. Um, and so if they have those guys, you know, able to rotate through a back three, if Reese James is healthy, he continues to just wipe out one side of the field, and Kepa is playing, you know, in a decent form where he's almost like a, a De Gea, where he makes all these spectacular saves, and then you only pay attention to the brain farts because that's what you remember. I think they're going to put up a lot of clean sheets and I think they're going to do it this week. So I'm happy to get them at minus one Oh two to win, but I'm much happier to get them to win to nil at plus two ten. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm, I go back and forth because uh, I I'm with you on the money line. I, I took Chelsea money line as well. The scoring thing that this is all going to come down to, and we give this warning all the time, who is actually going to be in the starting 11. And that's what I'm I'm curious to see. Is this back three here to stay? Potter is a known tinkerer. It was one of the yeah. things that I think he got in trouble with at Brighton a little bit, is he likes to mix and match. And as much as Pep gets hammered for the over-managing stuff, Potter is in that same vein. 
So I would not be totally shocked if we saw a back four randomly, and it might just come down to like availability of, of players. You know, the physios are saying he can go, he can't, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but also like Lester don't have a lot of good players and all their good players are attackers. And they've kind of went to this like effort thing of just like throwing those, these super attacking lineups out there. Um, so I, I think between the combination of two and if I see a back three, I would probably change my mind and I would go more your route. But again, between the unknown factor of that and the fact that all of Lester players are actually good at creating shots and putting the ball on the back of the net. Um, I went a different route and I saw Madison's anytime James Madison's anytime goal scoring number was plus three fifty, Um, and he has been gunning <laughs> lately. He's got 10 shots in his last three averages, uh, a little over a little under three and a half for the year. Um, which is pretty good for what's essentially like a number 10 or a free eight. It's a lot of shots. He's probably going to take their penalties. Now that Vardy isn't a staple starting 11. He definitely takes their direct free kicks on goal. Um, so I, you know, I don't necessarily love it, but like Madison will be shooting at Chelsea's goal. Keppa is not great at distance shots. That's mostly where Madison starts his bombs away routine from. Yeah. Lester's also probably going to be down. So I think any space that Madison gets from outside the box is going to be letting it rip. And plus 330 with his underlying numbers, I, I think it's a pretty solid value. Yeah. Uh, I don't mind that at all. I, I In terms of the formation, I mean, I'm going to be outraged if it's not a 3-4-3. Like Potter bombed out for weeks and weeks and almost lost his job uh, by going to a back four and then gets two wins in a week on the three, four, three gets, you know, positive affirmation and support from the owner and the players. The players actually came out in a crazy public way for a guy who's been unsuccessful. It's not the Chelsea way, but apparently it's the new and cuddly Chelsea. Um, And if he like abandons that to tinker and go back to a back four, he's crazy. Unless there's some injury concern that makes it. And and we, and that's what we don't know. We'll never know the inner workings in terms of like, maybe they just are worried about Reese James needing to rest. And then that creates a back four situation. So it'll be interesting. Um, But if there is a back three, go Toby's way. If not, maybe James Madison's your guy. There you go. Uh, and I, I got to say, I've looked it up. Chelsea's plus a thousand to win the Champions League, Brett. And they're going to have Conte back for the quarterfinals. And they are a absolute B word to knock out in a, in a tournament like this. So I'm, 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 I don't think that's great odds. I think it needs to be like 2000 or 3000 because I think it's City or Bayern who are still looking pretty <laughs> imperious in this. I'm kind of in the nobody really is that good this year. So I was, I was looking hard at the Benfica line. I'll put it that way. Plus 2000. Yeah. Yeah. AC Milan plus 2,800 real plus 600 Napoli. Napoli's everybody's darling plus 700. All right. We'll talk about this more once we get closer to the quarterfinals, but I'm getting ideas with Conte coming back. And it would be Toby about a champions league podcast for me, folks. And it would be appropriate. The first time we won the Champions League was our worst showing in the Premier League season, like no. <laughs> since Abramovich had taken over. So there is history here. Uh, all right, let's move on because people got to be sick of Chelsea at this point. We will head down to a team I am sick of: Tottenham, fourth at forty-five points <laughs> versus Nottingham Forest, fourteenth at twenty-six points. Saturday at ten a.m. Caesars has Spurs minus two fifty, Forest plus seven hundred, the draw plus three fifty. Spurs minus a goal and a half is plus one twenty-two. Forest is minus 155. So, Brett, if if a two by four came flying through that window right now and knocked me into a coma, whenever I came out of it, I think my first two words would probably be fade spurs. 
They <laughs> that's how I'm just dead set on it. They continue to be unimpressive, both to my eyes and the stats that I look up. Kulishevsky, my guy, he still looks like a danger man to me, but Sun appears to have had the strength sap from his body, like the Black Panther before a challenge to the throne. Like he just drank something and it completely drained him of, of whatever his will is to be a decent soccer player. And of all the freaking players in the entire world, I can't believe it was Adam Atriori who showed Sun how to keep a ball below the crossbar. Um, after someone just sailed it over and over no, again. No, don't blaspheme my boy, Adama. Leave him out. Leave leave his name out of your mouth unless it's all praise. All right. Well, it or was really start, fun. Start greasing up your arms and show of affection for him. It was really fun to watch his teammates slide right off of him in the celebration because <laughs> of all the grease. They couldn't even hug him. It. It's just my favorite little like fun tidbit in soccer is how he oils up his arms. I just think it's fantastic. So crazy. Uh, so the other thing besides fade spurs, I'm going to say two other words I've never said before in this order. Richarlison's right. He yeah. should be playing over Sun, uh, but he kind of backed Conte into a corner here, right? Like Conte can't make the lineup change that is necessary because he can't respond to the outburst in a positive way. He's more likely to put Richarlison in the metaphorical trunk. Um, they miss Betancourt. The midfield looks outmatched even by Wolves. And you put all of this stuff together that they can't make the lineup change that they need to, that Sun seems to be completely drained, that their midfield is in shambles. Their back lines have always kind of been in shambles. And there's just no way that it gets basically anybody. I'm taking Spurs on the adjusted line right now. So because I think they would need something special from Kane to score twice, and I'm getting odds on force to keep it within one, I'm just taking it blind. And think about how sad that sentence I just said is. Like, <laughs> they need something special from Kane that, to score two goals right. against Nottingham Forest. That's how far I think they have fallen, even though they're still in the top four of the league. Give me some Forest plus a goal and a half, minus 155. Yeah, see, for me, this was definitely the, the stoppable force versus the movable object type situation because, I, I mean, you and I have been on the same wavelength with Spurs. We, we disagree plenty on this podcast. We have not disagreed there pretty much at all. Um, but Forrest is just bad. Like they're a bad team. They're really lucky right now. They, in theory, they should be one of the front runners to be relegated. They have just banked enough points. They had another really lucky result against Everton getting a draw despite having, um, being doubled up on chance creation. Like they're just not a good team. And Spurs obviously did not look great against Milan that, that match, especially the first Ugh. half, there was like oh maybe four total shots, I think in like the first half, which when the Spurs apparently didn't realize they were losing. Um, and so it, it, it's trouble. I, I kind of I sort of get like some of the stuff with Conte sticking to the back three, but now I think my, my reasoning for understanding that is like, he only really has four good attackers, right? Like he has son, he has Kane, he has cool chefs, he has Charleston. Three and like, a half. <laughs> so three and a half of your counting son is washed. Um, so, like, at that point, you can't just play all four every single match throughout all the all the fixtures, right? So, if you play in this little 3-4-3, three, three, you can rotate them. Somebody's always getting rested. Like, I sort of get that mentality. But at this point, they're just trying to play for the league. Like, they're trying to play to make the Champions League again, or maybe even Europe, depending on how far this collapse goes before they, they put a backstop to it. Um and he has played a 4-4-2 before. And so this is now going to be, I think this to me is now where the real test of where Conte is at with this team. They could easily switch to a 4-4-2. 
get these attackers all on the field at the same time, and then probably be a better team for it. It's probably what they should have done against Milan from the jump, being down at goal in the second leg of that fixture. And he didn't do it. And so, like, I agree with you. Richarlison had good points. Like, I still I don't still know if I would cross Conte. I say it about loud to a reporter. But, like, he has good points. They have questions. I think Conte even, like, publicly kind of alluded to the fact that he might get fired soon. Um, so, like, they're a mess. But somehow, I just look at Forrest, and they're so bad. And I can't fade Spurs against Forrest. So I had to go with the minus one and a half for Spurs. I hate myself so much for doing it. Um, and I also, the one thing that has been okay, Spurs have been pretty good at limiting chances, especially against bad team. And we got to remember two weeks ago, Forrest just got worked by West Ham, like absolutely oh. annihilated. So the clean sheet win was plus 124 for Spurs. If you don't like the one and a half, maybe you can go for the one Oh Spurs win of a game that you should definitely not watch a single minute of. That's where I ended up. I'm probably wrong. I got off the fade Spurs bandwagon. You may rub this in my face next week, but that's no one has the right bet. In my opinion, like it, don't play the adjusted line on either side. If you know, mm-hmm. for the reasons that Spurs are uh, the line doesn't factor in Spurs current form as much as it should. And, and forests are just junk. Uh, so one Oh exact score line is plus four seventy five. So if I was going to bet Spurs, that's what, where I would bet versus, you know, taking the adjusted line and hoping they get two. And along those lines, um, the under two and a half goals is plus a hundred, just yeah. like last week. Like yeah. where are the, where are the goals going to come from for me exactly. to lose this bet? Yeah. Is it, is it three from the Spurs? I don't think so. Is it even one from force? Not confident in that either. Yeah. So I'm into Spurs unders in any game until they play an offense that I think that offense could basically cover it themselves. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to keep like playing this, particularly if they're going to keep putting plus numbers in front of me. Last thing I'll say is you talked about Conte, uh, you know, talking about possibly getting fired. Isn't it just like slightly wild that the manager of a team in a Champions League position in a completely loaded Premier League of a club that hasn't won a title in 15 years? feels he's under pressure. Like our Spurs fans, like somewhat delusional uh, that they have some sort of like manifest destiny towards championships or even champions league position. They haven't won a title in 15 years. They're sitting in a good position now, yet their manager feels like he's completely failed. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's also partly due to the squad investment, right? Like they, when Conte came, they opened up the purse strings and that just hasn't really come to fruition in a way that boosted them up where they, and, and again, it's all context, right? Like with Liverpool kind of floundering for a long time and Chelsea falling apart and United being like solid, but okay. Newcastle is still starting Sean Longstaff week in and week out. Like I think the context is like Spurs should be doing a lot better. We spent all this money. These other teams aren't playing well. And now we're barely clinging to a champions league spot. Milan wasn't playing well. And they knocked us out of the champions league. Like I sort of get it. I get, I get both sides of it, right? Like when you zoom out, it seems crazy, but also when you probably dig a little bit deeper into it, they are missing an opportunity. And so like, I kind of get it from both ends. But it's a classic half measure. Like, yes, they did spend money, but they bought Richarlison for 60 million while 
Chelsea spends a billion dollars. Well, and they pay Perisic a lot of money yes. for on a free. So City City obviously continues to reload. Like they bring in Holland this year. Like Arsenal bring in Zinchenko. For like and the Jesus. same amount as Richarlison. Right. And then, you know, Arsenal bring in Jesus and uh, Zinchenko. Liverpool's going to probably bring in Bellingham. Like, you can't say we spent money, therefore we deserve to win titles when everybody around you is spending even more money on even better players because they have better recruitment. Yeah, I mean, but but the the way that fans look at it, I mean, the, the, most fans look at it, they see that there was investment in the squad. They see that they kind of feel like they're at a standstill. And, you know, I mean, they just haven't been impressive all year. Like, not at any point, I don't think you and I, maybe maybe if I go back to some of our earlier pods and we listen to them, we were, but like, have you been impressed with them at any point during this season? One nil against City. That was the only one, right? Yeah, one plot on the map. That's it. So what, yeah, I mean, I can't think of another time that you and I have had a conversation being like, yeah, they're great and they look good. And like, you know, I think the best praise we ever gave them was early on. We said that they're probably pretty solid and in the mix, but like, that probably doesn't really cut it, you know, especially this year with the openings that have been created by Liverpool's up and down season and Chelsea kind of imploding, I guess, a little. I know. I, I know this is controversial to say that we should move on. I think if a team, I think if City or Liverpool or Chelsea only finish top four, their managers can expect to be under fire. I think if any other team in the Premier League actually qualifies for the Champions League, their managers should get much more pats on the backs than they do showing the exit door. Yeah. I mean, uh, so I'm actually curious and I'll pose this last question to you. Then we'll move on a little bit. This is kind of a fun conversation though. So Newcastle has two games in hand. I think they're four points back with those two games in hand, which means that they're pretty much probably level. If you take the points per match with Spurs at this point, who, which team do you think has better players? Uh, Newcastle versus Spurs. Spurs. Yeah. Great question. Um, well, I guess, you know, at some point you, you, your NBA brain kicks in. It's like, who's the best player on either team. I want the team with the best player and it's Harry Kane. Yeah. Uh, so I, I mean, I would default to that line of thinking, but I think Newcastle has done much better in their recruitment than Tottenham has. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you look at Bruno Guimaraes, uh, Guimaraes, whatever way you say it, and you know, Isaac hasn't hit the ground running exactly, but Tri- Trippier was uh, ended up being a really good signing for him. But I mean, you also look at like Dan Byrne and uh, Fabian Shar and Sean Longstaff and Joel Linton versus you know, so I mean, say what you want about Son, he's probably still maybe the best attacker on Newcastle. Um, you know, Kane definitely is cool. Shevsky's going to be starting for Newcastle. I'm sure maybe even our beloved over a beloved Almiron. Um, so to me, it was more like Spurs have better players than Newcastle and Newcastle's probably in a better spot. Right. So I, I get, this is where I get why the pressure is there, I guess was kind of the circuitous way of getting to it is I do think Spurs have pretty good players. Now you can make the argument that they play a lot more matches than Newcastle, and that's why they are where they are. But this is from the outside in. I I kind of see it. I get what you're saying 100% about where there should be the bar of like which teams currently in the Champions League spot should be talking about firing their manager. I totally get that side of the argument, but they just have been disappointing to me. And I guess it's maybe it's just a vibe thing. I don't know. But I, I see why he might be under pressure. Yeah, maybe. Sure, it's to be continued as uh, Spurs continue to fade away and I continue to make money on it. Uh, <laughs> all right, 
Let us do one more game, then we'll take our last break. We'll do Crystal Palace, 12th at 27 points, versus Manchester City, 2nd at 58 points. This game is Saturday at 12.30 p.m. Caesars has Manchester City minus 295, Crystal Palace plus 800, the draw plus 390. Man City minus a goal and a half is minus 105, and Palace is uh, minus 125. So we just started talking about them a little bit, but City were very impressive last week against Newcastle. Even with Guy Marish in the lineup, and even mm-hmm. with, or possibly because of, a full debut from Tony Gordon, uh, City controlled the entire game from the very first minute. Their uh, <laughs> city's running. I thought you would like that as an Everton guy. They're uh, they're running in both the Premier League and the Champions League is going to be extraordinarily fun to watch because eighty five percent of the time, City looks like there's not another team in the world in their class. Yet the other fifteen time, fifteen percent of the time, they could lose to absolutely anyone yep. and end up the season with no silverware at all. Yep. So, uh, quick quick question. I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole, uh, but I, I did write it down. How big of a plus number would I have to give you to say City will win multiple titles this year? Oh, God. Uh, I would say I'd probably start eyeballing it at about plus 750, plus 800. Uh, wow, that's way higher than my answer. That's really interesting. Really? I don't yeah, I I think they're a dog cuz the the points at Arsenal bank like the Bournemouth result was huge for Arsenal in my opinion. So, I think that put them as a pretty clear front runner to hang on to this and then the Champions League like they haven't even looked that great and it's a weird competition, man. <laughs> like so I don't know. I I would have to it have to be really high for me. Well, what, are was you your, from, what was your number? What was your number? Well, I think they're going to win the FA Cup. Uh, oh, so, oh, okay. So we're, oh, I was just thinking Champions League and Premier League. But yeah, if you do FA Cup, I would lower it for FA Cup, I guess. But I mean, how seriously are we going to think they're going to take that competition at this point? Well, they're into the quarters and United is the only other like high quality squad that runs against them. Uh, so I think they're going to win. Pep has been going for it. He did play. He, he has been going Pep. for it. So my number was like plus 350, plus 400, because I think yeah, they're going to win the I, FA yeah, Cup. If you and include get down the FA Cup, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, uh, I guess I guess my brain always looks at it like the two things that matter are the Champions League and the Premier League. Like, why would they even risk guys like Holland and De Bruyne? And yeah. so, like, I would think they'd be wanting to get knocked out of the FA Cup. Yeah, I think you're right. I think plus 350 then if you include the FA Cup. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's the right number. I I I think what's more interesting though is you know we get into that number plus three fifty plus four hundred whatever it is I think they've looked really 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 good this season we love talking about them we love watching them we've even you know started to think about where they are on the historical spectrum and despite all of that evidence that we have seen I think that number is higher now than it would have been if you had asked me in like October or oh, September 100%, I might have sure. said like. I'll take even money. They'll win multiple titles. So it's interesting that they've been this good and we've enjoyed watching this much, but that's just a testament to Arsenal uh, and some other teams around them that no matter how well Manchester city plays, their odds get worse to bang multiple trophies. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just at this point too, like you and I obviously are going to use some of this stuff for predictive value going forward, but like in real life, the five extra banked points that Arsenal have at this point, is huge. <laughs> yeah. So like, it's just a huge, it's a huge detriment. And, you know, we mentioned this all the time, but knockout tournaments are random as heck. So the champions league is, is always going to be a crapshoot for city in that regard. 
Uh, Arsenal still does have to go to City. So despite the five points bank, that is yeah. the that is the big thing still to come. Now that now the game in hand has been made up, that's kind of the next thing to circle on your calendar. Um, on the other side of this game, Vieira continues to do a really underrated job with Palace. They've earned draws against Poole and Brentford and Brighton and Newcastle and United. All of those teams they've drawn with in the last six weeks. They've only actually lost one game by multiple goals uh, once this calendar year. So against literally every other team in the league right now, even Arsenal, I'd back them to find a way to continue to keep it close and not take the adjusted spread. And I will probably regret this. We're taping on Thursday. I'll probably regret this when I see the city lineup and they're resting everybody for their Champions League game next week. But (laughs) thinking uh, that they will still put, you know, a decent squad fourth. And despite Crystal Palace um, and Vieira doing an underrated job right now, I'm going to have to back the city killing machine yet again. So give me them on the adjusted line. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm there. I'm there with you on that line. Um, I I think Palace is actually just really pretty uninteresting. I think they're getting a little lucky. I think the season they're having now is the one I expected them to have in Vieira's first year with just the impotent attack. Um, and they're and like their recruitment's actually been like okay. Like as he's been solid and Olise's young and playing and he might be okay. Um, but it's more like Zaha's getting to wash territory, you know, and he wasn't uh, that great of a, a goal scorer and creator he kind of peaked last year, I think in that regard. And then, um, you know, there just isn't much else behind him, like Jeffrey Schlupp and Jordan Ayew and all those guys like aren't super inspiring names. And we've kind of seen that in the attack. And so the thing that I actually got excited about this match is the clean sheet win, even at minus 128 for city. Like, I just don't think palace is very good. They've also been a team that like weirdly like Spurs just has weird, tricky matchups against city where they surprise them with fluke goals or scoreless draws. But um, you know, if you stick firmly to the numbers and don't get into all the mystic arts of soccer um, I think that palace not scoring is a pretty good bet at this point. Yeah. Uh, I'm not touching the palace side for my prop. I gave it out unofficially last week. I'm going to make it official this week. Phil Foden just looks absolutely amazing in his recent run of form to my eye. Uh, Last week, it was pretty obvious when he beat five separate Newcastle players plus the keeper to get the opener. And I think Holland is um, affecting his numbers. It continues to affect his numbers. I still don't understand why Alvarez gets more shine than Foden, but I'm happy to take advantage of that market inefficiency. So because of Holland's presence, the first goal scorer for Foden, I think might become a portfolio bet for me if I can confirm he's in the starting lineup because obviously you don't want this if he's not starting. Um, Mm -hmm. But he's plus 450 to be the first scorer. The other thing I like is because of the activity and because of the high quality runs he's making uh, to get two shots on target because he's just been relentless in these games is plus 225. So I like both of the values on those numbers. That, that, That second one's a really good bet. I like that. To have him continue to be bombing through the box, take advantage of Holland's presence, both in the odds uh, and on the field, and cash those types of bets, you know, more often than not at plus numbers. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, I think the Foden thing, you know, again, we're speculating here. It's not like we're sourced or anything or talking to Phil Foden, but I have a sneaking suspicion it's in the Cancelo vein of Pep doesn't like him very much, um, which is why Alvarez plays more, but. When he's on the field, he's electric. Like you cannot deny that he is an outstanding young talent. What he's like off the pitch, we have no idea, and we can only speculate. But yeah, I really like that second bet. I actually am 
You're making me contemplate things over here, Toby. All right. We'll keep contemplating over the break, and then we'll be right back. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at Shopify.com/network. All lowercase. Go to Shopify.com/network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify.com/network. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Okay, we got two more matchups and then the five pint and we'll wrap up. Manchester United is third at 49 points versus Southampton, 19th at 21 points. This game is Sunday at 10 a.m. United is minus 290, Southampton's plus 750. Caesars has the draw at plus 400. United minus a goal and a half is plus 100. Southampton is minus 130. Uh, so, Brett, we talked a lot about United at the top of the show, and I remain uncertain what to do with their performance last week. Without the men in black flashy thingy, it's hard to get some like that abysmal of a half of football completely out of my brain as I try to handicap their next match. Uh, in fact, I don't remember the last time I saw such a horrible half from a big six club. Lampard was probably involved at Chelsea, but uh, I probably flashy thing that out of my own brain. So on the other side, Southampton showing a real talent right now for grinding down games and keeping them close, low scoring affairs. Eight of the last nine have been one goal games. I don't really feel great about this one. It, it feels like a stay away. But if I have to take a side, it's going to be Southampton plus a goal and a half at minus 130. Because after last week, United have to earn my trust back before I'd be willing to back up with my dollars again. Perhaps they'll do it against Batiste today in Europa, but that match uh, hasn't taken place yet as at the time of recording. So if they, you know, look like they've put it off the water or, you know, let water run off their back like a duck, I might change my bet for Southampton. But until I see something, there's just no way I'm laying money on them to win by at least two goals after what I saw. Well, Toby, back in the day when we first started this little podcast, I made a proclamation that a massive underdog Watford was going to win. And they did in one of our first episodes. <laughs> oh, my God. That was the biggest upset that I money line until today. Wow. Plus 750. You're making plus it happen. Plus 750 Southampton is the bet. They call the Europa League the poison chalice for a reason. And I think that more than anything is why I would lean into Southampton maybe having value nicking this game. United obviously went for it in a huge matchup against Liverpool. They play Real Batiste, I think as we're recording, they're playing right now, um, who's a pretty good team in in La Liga. And they're clearly going to go for Europa as proven against what they did with Barcelona. So we're not going to see squad rotation. We are going to see two really important matches for them being played this week against a desperate team 
that has been unlucky. We have touched on the Southampton thing. Their entire reason for being relegated is poor young Kevin Bazunu is the worst shot stopper in probably all the big five leagues. He's allowed 11 goals above expectation. Um, obviously, part of this is young. He just didn't have experience in the top flight division before he came up. But if he stabilizes at all, or Alex McCarthy comes back, the Southampton team would just be your casual run-of-the-mill sign that wouldn't be plus 750 against United. So I I don't know if it's going to happen. I just think it's good value. I think more than uh, one out of seven times they beat a United team coming off these two really tough matches. So I went with the money line with the underdog. We'll see what happens. We'll see if it's another Watford. I haven't called one in a long time. Um, but the bet I am really excited about, and I, you are going to be so proud of me. And I, I just want, I just want to feel your appreciation for this bet. I went digging, Toby. I went digging hard. So United is a very weird team in the sense that they are a Champions League club, but they give up the six most corners in the Premier League, which yes! is weird. Okay. Southampton give up the ninth most, which is actually really weird that they're middle of the pack, but might feed into more that they're just underperforming because of their goalkeeper. Um, so the bet that I liked was not just a corner bet, Toby. It was a joint bet between the over of two and a half goals and the over of 12 corner kicks for plus 480. Oh my God. Now I, we're gambling. I went to Toby land and I found a bet that had some value. So I'm making up for like picking clean sheets everywhere else. That's where I'm sticking my money. All right. Well, when you might be stealing my uh, phone bet, but if all the things you've given out, guess which one piqued my interest the most? Oh, of course. I sat yeah. up in my chair for that one. I literally, back- I, as I'm doing this, it was hard to concentrate. I was like, Toby's going to love this bet. Like, Toby's <laughs> just going to love He may not love the line, but he's going to love this bet. <laughs> to, uh, to back your Europa point, uh, the match is about to kick off, so the lineups are out, and they went with the same lineup they went with against Liverpool. So yep. there you know, go. definitely going after Europa. Um, I don't even know how to top that amazing parlay of over goals and corners, but uh, I get this awesome, happened everybody. to be happened to be my wackiest bet of the week too, and it's going to be in my five pint total cards over three and a half minus one forty, baby. We're going on a cards bet. I haven't done a cards bet in a long time, but Southampton itself has sixteen cards in the last four games as they are really ugling these games up. Yep. And you add in United's frustrations and the very fact that they continue to employ Scott McTominay, and I love my <laughs> odds of winning this bet. So I will be taking cards over three point five minus one forty for this game. I love it. I love it. But these, All games, right. these games take us to weird places. Yeah, this is what happens when uh, it's March and we've been doing a lot of these shows. You're starting to have some fun. Or you have uh, a, okay. a bunch of good teams playing against a bunch of teams that are terrible. Yeah, hear that in Premier League. Just put big sixes against each other. At least them Newcastle or Brighton in there so we don't have this crap. Uh, but, hey, that's why they invented gambling, so we can entertain ourselves. Exactly. Uh, so the last game we'll be using for entertainment, full of Seventh at 39 points versus Arsenal. First at 63 points. Sunday at 10 a.m. Arsenal is minus 175. Fulham is plus 460. The draw is plus 305. Arsenal minus half a goal is minus 165. Fulham is plus 127. 
So we've already talked about Arsenal a little bit in this show, Brett. Uh, I continue to feel like I'm watching a champion. They're five points up, and Jesus is back in training. It's an incredible position for them to be in. You already alluded to the importance of banking points. Um, But I will say the margin is so thin here that we could be watching a champion. We could also be watching the Giroud-led Liverpool team that slipped away a title in April and uh, really lost it cruelly when everybody thought that they were going to pull out a you know historic victory. So either way, moments like that Nelson goal or why my heart continues to increasingly lie with the beautiful game over all, every other sport, just that I, we always talk about, it. like there's no greater release of joy and energy in all of watching sports and a goal in soccer, particularly one that happens at that crucial of a moment uh, and one that that's important to the championship race. Like, yeah, you could have a touchdown winning catch in the Super Bowl, but you're not going to have that in October. And the fact that we can have those moments and still have 13 games remaining is one thing that makes this entire thing so special and why I'm so happy to dedicate my weekend mornings to it. Um, Fulham, they've gone 17 straight games without losing by multiple goals, and they will provide worthy opposition here. But the number's not high enough for me to not you know, continue to ride the good vibes that Arsenal generated. So I'm going to take them just to win on the half-goal spread at minus 165. I went Coward's Way Out, and part of it is because Europa again. Uh, that's just, it's all Europa. It all comes down to Europa. Uh, Martinelli, Saka, Jorginho, Xhaka, Sinchenko, White, Salva, all started a day in sporting. Um, and this is going to be a question I think for Arteta, he's going to have to answer really hard is when you're leading in the chair or in the race to win the premier league title and you're starting pretty much half your starting 11 in the freaking Europa league. Yeah. I have questions. Um, and so the draw at plus 305, um, you know, we've seen it. These Arsenal games are getting feisty. Um, I agree that Jesus coming back will be a big boost, but like just haven't been a fan of what's been going on with uh, the some of these close matches and with the way that they're going to rotate the squad here. Like I just can't get behind this idea um, that this is the way that you need to go. Um but I mean, I guess we'll we'll see how it plays out. Obviously, this is going to be something that's going to come down to like like a reflexive. If they win, it wasn't a big deal. If they lose, it's definitely going to be something that we're going to point to. Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't do anything other than the draw. I mean, Fulham is feisty. Um, I, I They're getting a little bit lucky, but they have these matches too, and they seem to kind of bring it against these top teams with their pressing system that can restrict shots sometimes. It can be a little bit hit or miss. Um, but it does get them there at certain points. So I I hate doing the draw, but one out of every three times after a Europa League game that a feisty team draws against Arsenal, I mean, am I that far off, Toby? No, I mean, that 2-2 today against Sporting definitely lends credence to your cause. I can't say that I watched it, but just even knowing the result and look at some of the stats, and as you pointed out, the lineup that they had to roll out there, they did have some rotation, right? Like, it certainly wasn't their center-back pairing. They even played America's own Matty Turner between the pipes, which was really Mm -hmm. nice to see. Um, I don't think you're far off. I mean, I... I don't really like the coward's way out unless the two teams are a little closer and in overall kind of quality. I prefer, you know, taking either side of the the double chance or the favorite to win, but I see it Um, for my prop bet. I'm just simply not going to overthink it. Neither team is a stranger to the score seat. 
either over the whole course of the whole season or in recent form. So I was picking between the over 2.5 goals and both teams to score. I went with over 2.5 goals at minus 125. Both teams to score is minus 120, basically getting the same odds. But I prefer the chance of a 3-0 Arsenal victory over a 1-1 draw. Um, since I just think it's kind of written in the stars that Arsenal continue to keep the pace on this championship chase. And we enter in that showdown uh, at the empty head with everything on the line. My prop is very simple. Bring me Mitrovic plus 185. Anytime goal scorer. If Fulham's going to hang in this game, my boy's going to probably put one in the back of the neck. He takes penalties. I'll take plus 185 there. That's a good one. Uh, All right. Let's do the five pint. Let's get out of here. So, Brett, you took advantage of the Spurs and Wolves suck fest last week. You put two pints on it and you got <laughs> yeah. exactly what you counted for. So you're up 5.8 to 1.9 on me right now. Uh, I've got to make a comeback and I got to make it quick. We only have three shows in March because we have this week. We, we will be back next week, but then it's an international break after that. Believe it or not, then we'll be into April and really, really, really be in the business end of this thing. So my five picks for this week are going to be Chelsea win to nil plus 210. Feeling great about that one for a pint. Uh, Arsenal Fulham over two and a half goals, minus 125. Man United, Southampton, total cards, baby, over 3.5, minus 140. My personal favorite bet of the week. Uh, Spurs Forest under 2.5 goals. I'm getting in on the Spurs Suck Fest this week at plus 100. And then Liverpool minus a goal and a half on that adjusted line, uh, plus 120. What do you got? All right. So mine are going to be Fairly straightforward in, until obviously my favorite bet of the, the whole show. Uh, Liverpool minus one and a half at plus 120 for a pint. Uh, Spurs clean sheet win plus 124 for a pint. Uh, City clean sheet win minus 128 for two pints. Uh, and then bring it to me, baby. The over of two and a half goals and the over of 12 corners. Southampton United plus 480. Goals and yeah. corners. That'll goals definitely- and corners. That'll be definitely like a backstreet's the whole wheel of cheese moment for me. I won't even be mad I lost. I'll just be impressed. <laughs> All righty. Well, okay. We will be back uh, for one more show in March. Uh, look forward to you joining us for our usual interchange of horrible advice backed by expert analysis. Take care, everyone. <laughs>